So on this verse, it's written kind of weird in the hymnal. You read that, it, it's got line one and line two run underneath each other. And then you skip down, and on the second verse, you'll read the second line of the second phrase, and then the second line of the third phrase. So that's how we'll do this. I don't know what happened with our PowerPoint, but verse two. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born forever now thy gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit rule in all our hearts alone by thine all sufficient merit raise us to thy glory Why don't we stand? Can we all stand so I can hear your voices a little better? Y'all get more air in your lungs like that. Let's do 489. And I also want to add my voice to that of pastors. I know I missed a blessing last night. So thank you to Dave and Leslie for doing all that. Our family was really sad that we couldn't be here. Our kids are sick again right now. Uh, let's see, what are we doing? 489, glory to his name. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood of
this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at our Savior's feet. Plunge into day and we may complete. Glory to his name. Yes, glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the standing and see what Brother Bill wants to do. You may be seated. Thank you. For those of you who couldn't meet, make it last night, we missed you, but we had a good turnout. We had to uh, appreciate uh, Leslie Roberts with the help of her husband David uh, arranging everything. Uh, much of the Christmas story is uh, misunderstood. Uh, we know that. We've got a lot of the facts wrong. For example, how many of you know that the three wise men, that there's no record in the scripture that there were three of them? You know that? Might have been 300 of them. Might have been 3,000 of them. They offered three gifts. They offered three gifts, but doesn't tell us how many there were. How many of you know that the wise men didn't show up until Jesus was about two years old? Uh, some of you knew that. The scripture says that when they got there, that Mary and the Lord Jesus was in a house, in the house, not in the manger. And uh, so we've got a lot of those things uh, you know, they've kind of been mixed up together, I guess, over the years. What we celebrate here, and we do it not just in December. Do you know how December the 25th came to be celebrated? Anybody know about that? Well, there was a fella, there was a fella that uh, established Christianity, which is a religion, as the official religion in Rome in the Roman Empire. And he established December 25th because December 25th was the, the birthday of the sun god. And so he, I guess, reasoned, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, and uh, he reasoned that uh, the sun, S-O-N, of God, who gives light to the souls of men, came into the world. Uh, you know, every day of the week is named after a heathen god. Did you know that? Every month of the year is named after a heathen god. We're in a heathen world. But we celebrate the fact that our Savior was born. Probably the Lord Jesus Christ was born in, probably he was born in the fall. He was born in the fall of the year. Because, you know, even in Israel they do have winter. And no shepherds are out watching their flock by night in December. They don't do that. So you see, we have all of those things. A lot of these traditions have come in and have been perpetrated and uh, 
we we just don't understand a lot of the facts about that i have i have spoken before and i, I hope maybe i need a shield up here so you won't be throwing hymnals at me years ago i spoke on why i love the lord jesus christ more than i love santa claus <laughs> now you can see i'm not i'm not that much of a holiday guy but i tell you what i am i'm for i'm for knowing the lord jesus christ I'm for knowing that he did come into the world, and uh, he did come and die on a cross for us. Uh, the scripture seems to emphasize uh, something. A lot of times we miss the, the big meaning. I'm trying to bring some of this out in this study about the temple. Where was the Lord Jesus born? Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Where is the city of David? Well, that's Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. The bread of heaven came down to earth and was born in the house of bread, in a town named the house of bread i personally believe as i've tried to bring out to you in some of these studies that the temple was in the city of david it was not in jerusalem where it is they have the wailing wall today i think the temple was a mile and a half two miles away it was in the city of david which is bethlehem and uh, you know the Jerusalem, as I've pointed out to you, means city of peace. Been more wars, more battles fought in Jerusalem than any city on planet Earth. It is because they rejected the Prince of Peace. There can be no peace in a city or in a heart that's not reconciled to God through the Prince of Peace. But as I say, the emphasis here in this church Every time we meet, whether it's Tuesdays or Sundays, is Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. We're thankful for his birth, but it was in his death that he saved us and put away our sins. All right, we're going to sing a little up-tempo song called, Let's Go Back to Bethlehem. You want to help me, Lynn? <laughs> I'm going to let you st uh, stay seated. Well, i tell you what, stand up. Joshua has y'all stand up twice. I don't think we ought to stand up more than twice. Let's sing this song. It has a very simple melody to it. So I want you to sing it with us. You ready? It goes like this. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go. Bethlehem, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem again. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. There's a baby down in Bethlehem, just a baby. But I know it's him, the Messiah, born in Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. 
me let's let's go to Bethlehem let's let's go to Bethlehem let's let's go to Bethlehem let's go to Bethlehem all the scriptures talk of Bethlehem all the prophets Part to Bethlehem, all the promises speak of Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem, let's go to Bethlehem, let's go to Bethlehem, let's go to Bethlehem. All right, Sue. There's a baby down in Bethlehem, just a baby, but I know it's him, the Messiah, born in Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem. All the scriptures talk of Bethlehem, all the prophets point to Bethlehem, all the promises speak of Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem, let's go to Bethlehem, let's go to Bethlehem, let's go to Bethlehem, let's go. One more time, everybody, let's go to Bethlehem, 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 let's go to Bethlehem. All right, just remain standing, open your Bibles. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. We had a lot of uh, good music last night, and we appreciate all of the musicians. Thank you for, to the audio, video crew up there, especially Brother Ken Humphreys, who handles all of these special things. You know, when you have a little program like this, let's give Ken a round of applause. When you have a little program, it takes a lot more than just getting together. Uh, you have to have people, responsible people, who make all of it happen. So thank you to the musicians. Thank you to, for the folks that participated. Today, we've got three wise men here with us today, <laughs> today who, were, who were here with us last night, and uh, they might even be wiser today than they were last night. Matthew chapter 24. Well, let's begin with chapter 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest and stonest the prophets, 
them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, you not, not see me again, until you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now chapter 24. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you see all of these things? Truly, verily, I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat down upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, and they said, Tell us, when should these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world or the end of the age? May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let God's people say praise the Lord. Let's sing our little song where we appeal to the Lord to help us today. Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No Thank you. You may be seated. While you're being seated, let me make an announcement. Next Sunday, we're going to have a special speaker. Many of you know Gary George from Massachusetts. He's going to be in town. Actually, he's coming down. I suppose he and his wife, Michelle. And they're coming down to visit some of their children who live in this area. And so I asked Gary if he would be willing to speak to us next Sunday. So we're going to hear from Gary George, God willing, next Sunday morning here. I hope you'll come and listen to him, pray for him, and uh, support uh, his being here. Now today, this is the seventh study that I brought to you on the return of the Messiah. And as far as I am concerned, unless the Lord put something else in my heart, this will be the final study. If we don't get through with it, maybe I'll have to have one more. I hope all of you have a Bible. If you do not have a Bible, you can find a pew Bible there close to you. You know, if you go to English class, you got to have your English textbook. You go to math class, you got to have your math book. And when you come to worship, you ought to have the Bible with you. And if you don't have one, you should get one. Let me know and I'll buy you one. I'll get you one. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the new temple. The new temple. Now, we know that before the temple in Jerusalem, there was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was employed while Israel was traveling in the wilderness 
for 40 years. The tabernacle was a movable tent shrine. It's first mentioned in Exodus chapter 25. It was approximately 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet high. The dimensions of the outer court, that is, we had a, if you look at this hymnal, and this is the outer court, the dimensions outside linearly were around 450 feet. Once in the promised land, the tabernacle was replaced by the temple. And in this outer court, you had two rooms in the tabernacle, the movable tent shrine. You had the holy place, and you had the holy of holies. Later, they added a big area outside called the court of the Gentiles. They built that temple once they got into the promised land, settled there. Solomon built the first temple, and it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Nehemiah built the second temple. And then Herod the Great, about 20 years before the Messiah was born, our Lord Jesus Christ, he started on this second temple to expand it. It was a 46-year project. took him 46 years. And what he did was he greatly expanded the temple. That temple, often called Herod's temple, the temple we're reading about here in Matthew chapter 24, that temple was utterly destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. The Jews rebelled against the Romans. They came, came in and put the city of Jerusalem under siege and finally took it, burned the temple brought it to the ground. I explained to you two studies ago how the very prophecy that Jesus mentioned here, not one stone upon another, how that came to pass exactly to the letter. The Matthew 23, 24 visit to the temple by the Lord Jesus is significant for three reasons. Number one, this is the last time Jesus will be there. Chapter 23 and verse 39. You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Number two, the temple will be destroyed. Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Not one, temple, not one stone will be left upon another. And number three, Jerusalem itself will be destroyed. Matthew 23 and verse 38. The Jews, as I have pointed out to you in the last couple of studies, had idolized the temple. It was their ticket to heaven, and it was their platform of power on the earth. We found in chapter 21 of Matthew that Jesus rebuked the Jews for turning the temple into a house of merchandise. The Holy of Holies, also called the Most Holy Place, was to be a dwelling place for the God of Israel among his people. So from the very beginning, the plan and purpose of God in allowing Solomon to build the temple 
the whole purpose of that was so that the Lord could be among his people. Now, what I want you to see today is the progression of the Lord in being among his people. You know, in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve dwelt there. And before they sinned, that dwelling place could be compared to the Holy of Holies. Because Adam and Eve lived there, there was no sin. There was no rebellion. It was perfect harmony between Adam and Eve and between them and their father, who was God. And the scripture indicates that every day their father would visit them. And they would hear him coming, but he's described in the book of Genesis when he visits them as a voice. The voice of the Lord was heard walking in the garden of Eden. So in the beginning, he dwelt among Adam and Eve, his people, his sons and his daughters, as the voice. Then when we move forward, we have Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, and he actually visited with Abraham in the form of three men. And those three men were called Jehovah, especially one of them. And then out of Abraham, he raised up a nation in Egypt. He took them down into Egypt, and they were there for 430 years. Israel was in Egypt for 430 years. And then the Lord delivered them using Moses. Out of Abraham, then, he raised up a nation in Egypt to whom he spoke through Moses. Then when they got out of Egypt, he dwelt among his people in the tabernacle, the movable tent shrine, while they were traveling in the wilderness for 40 years. The reason they were in the wilderness for 40 years is because of disobedience. It was only about a three-day journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. But because they wouldn't believe God, because they disobeyed him, he said, all right, I'm going to let the generation that came out of Egypt, I'm going to let all of them die. And their children that they said I didn't care about, I'm going to let them grow up and I'll let them enter into the Promised Land. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but even while they were in the wilderness for 40 years, the scripture is very clear that the Lord guided them. The Lord was with them. The Lord was among his earthly professing people. And he dwelt among them in that tabernacle while they were in the wilderness. As I've already said, once they got into Israel, then the tabernacle was replaced with the, the temple. In over thousands of years, the Lord guided his people through kings and priests and prophets. Now, I want you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I can quote these passages to you. I want you to see them. You might want to make a note yourself in your Bible. So think with me now. The Lord was in the Garden of Eden. He was with his people, dwelling with them. Then he was with Abraham. Then he was with Israel. And uh, then he spoke to them through the prophets. 
and the promises. Now, here's what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, now, how did the Lord appear to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? As the Word, as the voice, the voice that was walking in the Garden of Eden. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So when God created, what did He do? He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be, and there was. Let there be light, and there was light. And he created everything with a word. That word, it says, in verse uh, 14. Let's, turn, let's go down to verse 14. The word that was with God, that was God, by which all things were created, the word was made flesh. The word we use for, the English word we use is incarnation. Incar, you've heard the word carnivorous. Flesh eating, incarnation means coming into the flesh. Okay, the word that was God, that was in the Garden of Eden, that appeared to Abraham, that was in the tabernacle in the wilderness, that was spoken by the prophets, that word was made flesh, and I don't know what translation you have, this is what this says. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Would you believe that that word dwelt is the word skenoo? You know what it means? It means to tabernacle. It means to tabernacle. The Word came to tabernacle among us in the one we call Jesus. The Word who was with God, who was God, by whom all things, by which all things were created, by whom all things were created, that Word that tabernacled among Israel, that Word is now tabernacling among men in the flesh. The Lord came into the flesh to tabernacle among us. Who was this babe born to Mary? He was Jesus, Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel said to Mary, or to Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jehovah is salvation. Jesus. For he, by himself, shall save his people. His people are God's people. God's people are his people. He will save his people from their sins. Now, my friends, only God can forgive sin. You remember once, once when Jesus said to a man, Thy sins be forgiven thee. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. They led him down through the top of the house. And, and, and the guy was crippled, and Jesus looked at him, and he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And everybody said, Who is this man? Nobody can forgive sins but God only. 
And Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he said, Why are you reasoning whether it's easier for me to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, or thy sins be forgiven thee? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, he said to the sick of the palsy, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the man rose up, took up his bed, and walked. So that proves that he can forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God only? Jesus, Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. That's who was born into this world. Who is this person, this babe born of Mary? Who was this babe born in Bethlehem? The prophet Micah said this, Thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the nations of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The person born in Bethlehem to Mary was the Ancient of Days. He is the one who is from everlasting. That's Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Who is this person that is to be the ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from eternity? Well, he was Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The angel sent to Joseph, the husband of Mary, said in Matthew 1.21, She, Mary, shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jehovah is salvation, Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. This was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying... Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which interpreted means God with us. The babe born of Mary in Bethlehem is Jehovah is salvation, Jesus. He's the everlasting one. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one spoken of the Lord by the prophet who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Now Matthew says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, a virgin shall be with child, bring forth a son. Now what prophet is meant there? Where is that prophecy found? Well, that prophecy is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and verse 14. The prophet is Isaiah, and the passage, the prophecy is Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, where Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This was spoken by the prophet of the Lord. The Lord who spoke by the prophet is the God of Israel. The name Jehovah or Yahweh is the Hebrew word for the self-revealed name of the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham. And that word Yahweh or Jehovah comes from the Hebrew to be. 
You remember when you were in school and you had verbs and verbs were action words? And you had what's called regular verbs and you had what was called irregular verbs? An irregular verb was forms of the verb to be. I am, you are, he, she, or it is, we are, you are, they are. You remember conjugating those verbs? The regular verbs were simple. I walk, you walk, he, she, or it walks, we walk, you walk, they walk. But the irregular verbs were tough. Now the name of God, and I've explained this to you many times, the ancient Hebrew didn't have vowels written in there. So you just had consonants. For example, if you had J-H-V-H, how would you pronounce that? Well, you can't pronounce it. And so scholars are not sure whether they should fill in an E and an O and an A and say Jehovah, or in recent years, Yahweh. They're not sure. And you know what I think? I think the Lord did that on purpose. Because to try to pronounce his name is to corrupt it. You can't say his name. <laughs> He's the God whose name cannot be pronounced. He is known by his, the manifestation of his power. How many of you, and Douglas called me about this. Douglas gave me a call the other day. I knew about it, but I didn't know some of the details about it. How many of you saw about a week ago on television, was on all the networks, the parliament that was assembled in Turkey. Okay, now Turkey is an Islamic nation. Okay. There was a guy that stepped up to the podium and he said some bad things about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said some bad things about the God of Christians. And as soon as he finished his speech, he fell over dead. He said in his speech, Allah will prevail. And when he finished his speech, he dropped dead. And that was on television. I saw it on television, but I thought maybe he just had a heart attack, found out he dropped dead. Do you know that the God of the Bible kills people? He that is often reproved if he hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. That's a quote from the book of Proverbs. I'll let you find it. You read in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit. Both of them dropped dead. So it's not just an Old Testament thing. You read about the high priest of Israel, Aaron. He had two boys, and they didn't take the priesthood seriously. And they went in to approach God in the wrong way with the wrong thing. And God struck both of them dead. We're playing with eternal fire when we're playing with the God of Scripture. His name really can't be pronounced until he comes into the flesh to tabernacle among us in the person of Jesus, who is the Christ. 
I am the Lord. Most of the time, Jehovah or Yahweh or what they think is the name of God is translated with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's translated by the word Lord. Even today, there are Jews who won't try to say the name of God. When the old writers that were writing the scriptures would come to the name, the holy name of God, tradition says they would put their pen down, go take a bath, and come back and write the name of God. That's how revered his name was. If indeed, though, I have a question for you. If indeed the man Jesus was the salvation of Yahweh or Jehovah or the God of Israel, if he was the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the flesh, if he was the ancient of days, if he was the everlasting one, if he was Emmanuel, God with us, why didn't anyone see him for who he was? Now, to answer that question, we have to go back to the temple and the tabernacle, and I'm going to be very brief. Why did the tabernacle and the temple have those veils? Remember we looked at those veils last week? They had a curtain, a veil, going into the holy place. They had another veil or curtain going into the most holy place. They had that, those veils or those curtains, both the tabernacle and the temple, which was much larger, I pointed out to you that in the temple, that veil was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and four inches thick. And that veil was to keep people from gazing in into an area where God said he would meet once a year with the high priest, and the high priest only could go into the Holy of Holies, and he could only go in once a year. That was on the Day of Atonement, and he had to go in very carefully and specifically, as God said. The, the fact, the high priest had a long garment, he had bells on it. And the Scripture says that when the people would stand outside, because that man represents them. If he's successful then God pardons them for another year. How did they know if he was going okay? They would hear the bells jingling. <laughs> They'd hear the bells jingling. And as long as those bells were jingling, all was well. The purpose of those veils in the tabernacle and in the temple was to separate the people from the thrice holy God to keep them from trying to see the glory of the Lord. If you have time later, you go back and read Exodus chapter 19, and this is what it says. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, and on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and charge the people, lest they break through to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priest also who come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And in Exodus chapter 33, the Lord had a conversation with Moses, and Moses said, Show me thy glory, Exodus 33 verse 18. 
And what did the Lord say? Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Now, I want you to notice that the glory of the Lord was seen in the face of the Lord. To see the face of the Lord was to see the glory of the Lord. To see the glory of the Lord was to see the face of the Lord. When the Ancient of Days came to dwell among men in the person of Jesus, the glory of God was hidden from the eyes of men. When men looked at Jesus, they didn't see anything unusual. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, Old Testament book of Isaiah, and let's look at chapter 53, a very famous chapter. Isaiah chapter 53. Again, when the Ancient of Days came to earth, the everlasting God in the person of Jesus, when men looked at the man Jesus, they saw nothing unusual. And this astonishing fact is mentioned in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? This is a report that is unbelievable. It's astonishing. It's so astonishing that no one is going to accept it. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm is power. What we're about to be told is a revelation of the infinite God of power. The arm of God is symbolic for his power. The person who is about to be described is the arm of God. He is the power of God in the flesh. Didn't Jesus demonstrate the power of God? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He healed diseases. You know what? You know what we do when somebody's sick? We stay away from them. Because what they got might jump on us. But Jesus embraced sick people and what he had invaded them. He made them well by embracing. If you got pneumonia, don't come embracing me. I'm afraid it might jump on me. But Jesus embraced leopards, people that had leprosy. He embraced them, and his wellness went into them. Nobody but God can do things like that. And yet the Bible says, listen to this, stay where you are in, in, uh, in Isaiah. The Bible says about Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He is as a man being born in the world just like we are and growing up just like we are. But in him is the glory of God that's shielded from the eyes of men. Okay? Now he goes on to say, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Notice now that if you ever see who Jesus is, it has to be revealed to you. It's a revelation. Salvation is not by walking an aisle, signing a card, raising your hand, and making a decision. Salvation is by revelation. God reveals it to you, and he reveals it to you out of his word by his spirit. Verse 2, I must hurry. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. 
He's going to grow up. I just read to you, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He will be like a tender plant. That is, he will be vulnerable like a tender plant. This hints at his helplessness when born as a babe. Though he was fully God, he was fully man. And it says he will be a root out of dry ground. That has a double meaning. He will come forth from a dry womb. He'll come forth from a woman who has never known a man. And secondly, he will come forth from a family that's as good as dead, which is the family of David. When Jesus was born, the family of David was practically gone. It says he has no form nor comeliness. What does that mean? It means he has no outward beautiful form or attractiveness. He won't look like royalty. Jesus was a carpenter. He had calluses on his hands. He was a man's man. He was not an effeminate guy. But outwardly, he doesn't, certainly doesn't look like a king of kings. That's what he's saying. He has no form or comeliness. And it says here that there's no beauty that we should desire him. He'll be despised and rejected of men. Verse 3. He won't be applauded and praised. He'll be despised and rejected. He will not appear to be victorious, but he will be a man of sorrow. He will be a man acquainted, that is, a constant companion of grief. And rather than praise him, men will be disgusted with him. They will despise him. They will not value him as worthy even to live. That's what it means by we esteemed him not, last phrase of verse 3. You see, Israel looked for a glorious Messiah who would come to reign. They didn't look for a humble man who grew up in a carpenter shop. They expected the Messiah to be a conquering king. Now what's the chief reason that they didn't recognize Jesus for who he was? They couldn't see the glory. They couldn't see the glory of God whose glory was manifested in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And why couldn't they see it? They couldn't see it for the same reason the children of Israel couldn't see it. When they came to the temple, there was a veil between them and the glory of the Lord. And this is the same reason that today men do not see in Jesus the manifestation of the glory of God. There were two veils in the temple, and there are two veils today. Let me briefly tell you what they are. One veil is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. Let me read it to you. Their minds were blinded. Until this day there remains the same veil not taken away when the Old Testament is read. Once veil is done away in Christ, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. So there's a veil. 
People look in the Bible, they look for history, they look for law. That's why you got all these denominations. This is a hymn book, H-I-M, look for him. Don't look for law, don't look for ritual, don't look for ceremony, don't look for some mystery, look for him. All the mysteries of God, all the revelation of God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can't see that glory in him, you've missed it. So there's a veil over the spiritual eyes of the soul. And secondly, the glory of God in Jesus Christ was shielded from the eyes of men by the veil of his humanity, that is, his flesh. It's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, we have boldness to enter into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated to us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. You see, Jesus' flesh was a veil that covered the glory of God that was within him, that was in him. Remember when he took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain called the Mountain of Transfiguration? You remember he went up on the mountain, and there was just three of them with him, and it said all of a sudden he was transfigured before them, and it says that he was brighter than the noonday sun. He was so bright they fell down on their faces. That was a little bit of a manifestation of the glory that was in him, the glory of God which was called in the Old Testament the Shekinah glory. When God came down on Mount Sinai, the people were forced, they just were forced to fall on their faces. The God we have today is not a God to be feared and not a God to be reverenced, not a God to stand in awe of. We've made him into just a little friendly guy that hopes we'll vote for him. He's kind of going through the earth trying to find votes, you know, trying to find somebody to please believe on Jesus. Please take his son. If you'll just make that decision for Jesus, my friends, you've already made your decision. When you're born in this world, you were born into this world blind as a bat. And you're never going to see the glory. Anybody will believe on Jesus to save themselves from hell. But how about coming to know him and falling in love with him? How about coming to know who he really is? How about coming to know him, not just being a religious system? That glory of God in Jesus was shielded from the eyes of men by the veil of his humanity. And that means, my dear friends, it is a miracle when a dead sinner who is spiritually blind sees the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man, the unsaved man, the, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. They have to be spiritually discerned. And to spiritually discern them, the Spirit has to show them to you. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of them which do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Listen now. 
We do not preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. Christ Jesus the Lord, and we preach ourselves, your servants, for his sake. Now listen to this. Very important. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. So we go back to the Garden of Eden, where God said, let there be light. The God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God said to Moses, no man can see my face and live. The glory of God was in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let me ask you a question in closing. Can you see the glory? Let me take it one more step. He started in the Garden of Eden as the voice. He appeared to Abraham. He came and spoke to Moses. He dwelt in the tabernacle. He spoke by the prophets and the wise men. Then he came into the flesh himself in the person of Jesus. Okay? Where is the temple on earth today? Listen to these passages. I'm just reading them to you because of the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, What, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, You are the household of God. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. All of the people of God who are called by his grace who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who have come to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, God dwells in them. They take the place of the temple on the face of the earth. Amen. Let's stand together. You see that progression? You see how God progressively moves in history? Moves from the Garden of Eden, moves right into his people. How wonderful it is to know that our salvation is wholly wrapped up in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He was born in the house of bread, Bethlehem. He who is the bread of heaven, born in the house of bread. He said to his generation, your fathers, he said to the Jews, your fathers did eat that bread that came down from heaven, and they all died. 
but my Father gives you that bread which if a man eats, he will never die. I am the bread of life. Come and partake of me, he says. You partake of him by faith. You come and you lay hold of him. You believe the record that God has given of his son. You lay hold of that and you confess that. And as you do that and as you walk with the Lord, you will begin to see more and more and more of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus. We thank you for your wonderful word by which you reveal yourself to us. And oh, Father, I pray for those among us today here and watching by the internet who do not know you, who have not seen that glory in the Lord Jesus. I pray that you will have mercy upon this generation of religious but lost people. Oh, Father, that you will rend the heavens and come down among us and manifest your glory to us in this generation. I pray, Father, that you will be glorified in all that we do, all of our lives, all of our actions. We long to please you perfectly. We realize and we confess that we're yet sinners. We stand in need of your grace moment by moment. We know that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And we are thankful for your amazing grace by which we are forgiven and saved and reconciled unto you through faith in the Lord Jesus. Now bless your word. You have promised that when you send your word forth, it will not return unto you void, but it will accomplish that whereunto I sent it. I ask, therefore, that you glorify yourself in the teaching of your word, wherever it is taught in truth. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.